Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. You can't really take the day south as a person. You can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work like that. The Nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Welcome into the nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Four days away from the NHL trading deadline. We'll spend a lot of tonight's show on that. Elliot Friedman on our station earlier today. Ralph Kruger on our station earlier today. There's also the CBA talks between the NFL and the NFLPA. We'll see if that gets done tomorrow. The NFL owners have already approved a CBA that will give a 17-game schedule and a 17 playoff format in each conference. So maybe we'll get into that a little bit later on as well. I do want to start tonight, though, on neither one of those, to be to be frank. And, you know, I guess some out there have called in, actually to our station, said, hey, maybe the Sabres should trade Jeff Skinner. But not realistic, obviously. Skinner, all I'm thinking about today is, is is Kruger and Skinner and his utilization and the poor season he's having and the contract. And obviously, there's a lot going on with it. Um, if you, I don't know, if you missed it earlier today, might as well play it right now actually. Ralph Kruger on Skinner earlier today. He's been asked pretty much every week, and I think rightfully so, by Howard and Jeremy when he jumps on with the guys on Thursdays, that, hey, why is Skinner not playing with Eichel? Why not try it out? Why not test it? Just see what happens if you do that. Just see what happens. And today, like, you know, similar to what his response has been, this was Kruger. When a player is not producing, nobody's happy. The player's not happy, we're not happy, and we're trying to find the solutions, and we work hard at it. But there are internal things and analysis that, in respect of what we do here to try to make the whole as powerful as possible, we need to keep inside, and we keep it inside. And I enjoy every day that I coach the Buffalo Sabres. It's always a challenge. I enjoy the individual challenges. I enjoy the team challenge, as you know, the whole staff here does. And just a lot of the work we do stays internal, and on this one, it stays right there. I just want to know. We have enough of a sample size of Ralph Kruger now, don't we? Not to know completely what he is as a head coach, but to, to pick up on some of his habits. And a couple of things I've picked up on from Ralph Kruger, who, remember, I mean, I wrote about him a month before he was even mentioned as a candidate for the Sabres job. I knew that he was over in England at Southampton, contract expiring in the summer, had talked to Pierre Lebrun 
of TSN about wanting to return to the NHL, but as an executive. And I tossed him out there as an idea, and it happened. So, in a way, I'm kind of rooting for Kruger in just, you know, selfish reasons, the fact that I kind of thought of him pretty soon on, pretty early on. But a couple of habits that I've seen from him that I've picked up on, one of which is he does not like to change his lines. He doesn't. Not at all. I remember remember Lindy. Lindy would always jumble the lines. He would do it within games. And Bilesman would do that sometimes. And I don't really remember what Ted Nolan would do. I was more focusing on the other team trying to score. And Ron Rolston did it at times. Like Lindy would do it a lot, though. You'd show up in the third period, and suddenly Derek Roy and Thomas Vanek were split up, even though that's a pairing that usually was uh, was pretty common. And Kruger just, you know, doesn't happen. It's always Eichel Olofsson and Reinhardt. It's always Marcus Johansson and Jeff Skinner, until really recently. It's always Larson, Oposo, and Giergensens. And you just kind of go from there. You fill in the rest. And I, I want to, uh, I want to respect that in in some respect, because when you're trying to build chemistry, when you're trying to, you know, get a line to work as a unit and be more comfortable with each other over time, you want to play them together as much as possible. So I get that, but there are also times when you have a team like you have. That is so thin up front. You can't... I just don't think you can operate your forward group like that. You've got to try different combinations. You've got to experiment a little bit. Because if you don't experiment a little bit, then your forward group is not going to play all that well. Because that's just kind of who they are. And we know that that Eichel line is going to produce with Olofsson and Reinhardt. We know that Skinner is not going to produce with Marcus Johansson and insert name here as the other guy. We know that Larson, Giergensen, Zoposo are going to always have the puck, and they won't really score all that often, but they'll always have the puck. They'll do their job. Let's. Why can't... I, what I have been frustrated with the most is there has not been a lot of searching in the unknown of the Sabres forward group. The thing I've been harping on the most, and I always almost hate bringing it up at this point because I feel like it's just annoying to hear me say it at this point, but I've been wanting to see them at least try Sam Reinhardt at center all year. At least try it. Especially when you're 8, 10 points out of a playoff race and you're not really in it. And all of this talk about how desperate they are for a second-line center that I completely agree with, there's a there is a chance it might not even you might not think it's a very gr- a good chance. You might think it's slim to none, but there is a chance you have your second line center on line 1 playing right wing. There's a chance. There's also a chance Victor Olofsson would produce the same amount that he does right now away from Jack Eichel. Again, maybe not a great chance, but there's a chance And you're never going to find it out if you don't split those guys up. The Olafson-Skinner comparison is an interesting one. Because I have not really thought... I've had it in the back of my head, kind of stored away, that Skinner has not scored a power play goal yet this season. Like, I I, I know that. And Olafson has scored a bunch. 
But Jeremy pointed out this morning a, a thought that, or a stat even, that I just had not really thought about. Because all year, we've basically just gone about our business saying, yeah, Olsen, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, Olsen playing with Eichel has been great. A lot of chances, a lot of goals. Eichel's having his best season. Olofsson is a Calder nominee. But when you really dive in and look at it a little bit more, you don't even have to dive in all that far. Victor Olofsson is scoring a bunch of his goals on the power play. So it's not all five-on-five production. It's not all about playing with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart on the top line. Of his 19 goals, 11 are power play goals. So, how about this? Think of it this way. Because if you had Jeff Skinner with Jack Eichel all season, or even if you had tried it at some point and decided to stick with it, Olsen's got 11 power play goals. You're never taking him off that right flank on the power play. It's never happening. You do not have a guy near his capabilities to play in that spot. They dearly missed him last year when they didn't have that guy. Kyle Poso started the season on the right side of that power play. Dalene tried it, who doesn't have that great a shot. This year, Marcus Johansson was the guy that they put there when Olofsson was out. Again, not a great shot. Olofsson is phenomenal on that side. You could have kept him on the number one power play unit on that side. 11 power play goals. Eight even strength goals. Let's talk about that number for a second. He has eight even strength goals on the season. Playing with Jack Eichel. That's a lot of minutes with Jack Eichel. I'm not trying to tell you Victor Olofsson is not deserving of the praise that he's getting. Because he deserves it. I believe he's going to be a perennial 30 goal scorer. That shot is lethal. That's not going away. That's not fluky. That's It's a thing that he has. That is going to stick. And it might be most of it on the power play. We don't know. Maybe he will get better 5-on-5. But he has 8 even strength goals on the season. Skinner, on Eichel's left wing last season, had 32. Think about that for a second. Because I'm not taking away 11 power play goals. I'm not taking the majority of Victor Olofsson's production away on the season if I put Jeff Skinner up with Jack Eichel. And I didn't really even think about that until today. Skinner had 32 even strength goals last season. You could have had both, maybe. Maybe. And again, I'm not going to blame Ralph Kruger for not for that not being his first choice. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not mad at Ralph Kruger for showing up at training camp and thinking to himself, I'm gonna split up Skinner and Eichel, because I need to balance my scoring. I need to spread it out a little bit. Because I understand that, and I think that that's right. I think that's right to do. You do want to spread it out a little bit. But you could have spread it out in a different way. And maybe gotten the same production. But you never even came, you've never even arrived at that point. Because there's been no experimentation with the lineup. With the lines up front. And that's maybe been my biggest criticism of Ralph Kruger this season. On the whole... I've liked the job he's done. He's obviously an incredible communicator, a great leader. The players respect him. He's the only reason 
that I'm even got a fleet of hope that Taylor Hall might consider this team in the offseason if he gets to free agency because Taylor Hall speaks glowingly of Ralph Kruger. Only reason I'm even thinking about that a little bit. I don't really think that's realistic, but I'm thinking about it a little bit, Taylor Hall, who has not signed a contract, by the way, in Arizona and might even get traded again. So on the whole, and Kruger, by the way, I think has done a pretty good job managing the blue line. Very impressed that he never sat Yoki Haru. It would have been so easy to do it. You had all of these veteran defensemen. And 90% of coaches, I truly believe 90% of coaches in this league, the way they often operate is they do the easy thing, which is play the highly paid veteran and sit the rookie and hide behind development as a reason for it. And I'll give Kruger credit. He did not do that. Henry Yokiharyu's played the whole season. He's played every single game. And his minutes have gone up over the course of the year. To where now, he's playing top four minutes on a nightly basis. And there are games here and there. Like there's two in the last week and a half. Where he leads the team in minutes. He's getting more and more of an opportunity. So there are good things. I'm not down on Ralph Kruger as an idea for this team's head coach. But that does not mean that I think he's been perfect. And I think all of what I just said about the forward group and about Olofsson and about Skinner and even about Reinhardt never playing away from Michael. I just don't think you can go over the course of a whole season with this group of forwards. And it blows my mind that there hasn't been more experimentation. At some point, you got to realize that it's just not going to, it's not working. And maybe you don't have the right combination. You probably don't. They don't have a lot of good scoring options. So there is probably, there probably isn't a perfect combination that will get this team to score on a nightly basis. It probably does not exist. But the most frustrating part of it to me is let's try to find out if there's none. Let's see if Reinhardt, Skinner, and Jimmy Vesey, as a line, will produce. We'll get Skinner going. Let's see if Reinhard Olofsson and Vesey will, will score. While, you know, Eichel, Sherry, and Skinner up top is going. Let's just find out. Maybe that works. Maybe that combination works. But we've, not, we've never come near something like that. Because other than a minor tweak here and there, like Skinner being separated from Marcus Johansson now in like the last week, week and a half, to where now he's playing with guys like Rodriguez and Larson a little bit. Like, that's all we get. We don't get that major, it's not even a major overhaul. It's just uh, so many teams do it. I don't, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I feel like it should be a given. If something's not working, try something else. And I don't want to, I want to mention that stat one more time. Because... I think maybe we should be talking about the fact more that Skinner was four times as productive, almost four times as productive, five-on-five five with Jack Eichel last season than Victor Olofsson it was, is this year. 32 even-strength goals for Skinner last year, eight for Olofsson this year. And again, just to put a bow on it, because I mentioned it right at the top, you, didn't, you don't have to take Olofsson off the top power play unit. You don't. I would have loved to see Dan Bilesma, I don't think was a very good head coach, obviously. But the one thing I liked that he did 
was he didn't really have lines. He had he had he had four offensive pairings. Is really what he had. He always paired O'Reilly with Oposo. He always paired Eichel with uh, Skinner, or not with Skinner. Eichel with Kane. Like he would always do that. He would put two guys together and then he'd put in a third guy along the way somewhere else. And that's something that I'd like to see here. Pair Eichel and Skinner and Olafson and Reinhardt. Pair some combination of those four. Because those are your only top four there's your only top six wingers or up players up front. Those four. And to me, Skinner's kind of the lonely soul that got left out. You've got four top six players, four legitimate ones. Johansson, I think, is on the fringe of that. On a good team, he's a third-line player, like he was in Boston last year when they went to the finals. You've got four top six guys in all year. At five on five, three of them have been together, and one guy was left on the outskirts. And it's not all on Kruger. It's not, because Skinner needs to score more than you know, 11 goals, even if he's not playing alongside Jack Eichel, of course. No goal since December 2nd is embarrassing for a guy making 9 million bucks. But it doesn't have me worried about the future of his contract. It doesn't have me thinking about him as the next Kyle Oposo or the next Vili Leno or the next Matt Molson, the guy we gave a big monster extension to and we're already to how many years of this thing is left? Eight? Or seven? Just counting the days that's left in the contract? I don't think I'm there with Jeff Skinner. I still consider him a part of this team's core. When properly utilized, he produces. And in fact, almost all the time, he produces. This is the first year of his career. And he's only 27 years old still, remember. The first year of his 10-year career. Where he's really not been an elite 5-on-5 scorer. Even with this year, he's fourth in five-on-five scoring in like the last eight years. The only other season he really struggled would have been in Carolina in 2015 when he was 22 years old and he had 18 goals and 13 assists for 31 points. So even you could say he's had this season before. And I just don't think at the end of the day, of course, he hasn't had the same season he had last year. But I think a part of that, not all of it, but a part of that is the guy's just not getting help. You can't expect him to be a $9 million player playing with Evan Rodriguez as his center. You just can't expect that out of a guy. You can't expect a guy to be a 40-goal scorer when the first third of the season, he spent every minute, almost every minute he played with Vladimir Sabatka, the worst offensive player on the team. That's not fair. It's not fair to him. It's not. And that's why I'm not going to criticize him for the year he's having all that much. I think you got to get him some help. I, this is why I love the Vincent Trocheck idea. I'm in love with the Vincent Trocheck idea. If the Panthers' number two center is available and you can get him and they want a defenseman, even if it's Montour, I, I, we all want Ristol, not a, we all. Ristolainen's got a lot of fans, but the most talked about guy is Ben Ristolainen, and he's the guy who's been here the longest, so he obviously makes the most sense for a guy you would move, but 
if I'm offering the trade I came up with yesterday that somebody asked about, like what would be my package for Vincent Trocek, and I threw out there Ristolainen and Asplund in a second, if Florida's GM Dale Talon phones me back and says, all right, you got a deal, but we don't want Ristolainen and we want Montour. I think I'm still saying yes to that. Because it's not just about your second-line center spot. It's about getting your 40-goal scorer some freaking help for the first time all season. 803-0550 is the phone number. I know not everybody agrees with that. It's v- Skinner's got 20 points. You look on the surface. He has had opportunities. He has not finished. So if you think I'm dead wrong, or if you think that he does deserve a bigger portion of the blame for the season he's having, let me know what you think at 803-0550. you got a thought on the trade deadline as well. Be willing to take your call on that. Just mentioned Trocheck a little bit. Um, Ellie Friedman had a bit to say on Rasmus Ristolainen earlier today. Um, we'll get that to you as we progress here. It'll probably be actually coming up next year. We'll get a little bit of Friedman for you. And a um, little bit on the, uh, the NFL CBA. Probably in our number two. 17-game schedule, seven playoff uh, teams per conference. And a neutral site game each week, each year. And I have a couple of ideas that I think would be pretty fun to uh, take advantage of that. So nightcap with Joe DiBiase to your calls after this here on WG. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Let's get to our first interview of the day. Mentioned Elliot Friedman in the previous break. He was on with the Instigators earlier today. Some stuff here on Rasmus Ristolainen. Is he not getting that much value in the trade market? Elliot seems to think that. So here he is, Free- Elliot Friedman with the Instigators earlier today. What what, what are we what are we what are we doing here with Ristolainen? You know, I, I heard the rumors yesterday about Toronto and Ristolainen. It's right. I, I would be shocked, Craig. I I, I really would. Um, I, I just think that. Like, if you know Toronto's management, it just doesn't seem to be the fit that... It doesn't seem to be a fit to me. It doesn't seem like the kind of player that Toronto would prioritize. The other thing, too, is... And Berkey told this story last night uh, that Calgary looked at him and they really thought long and hard a couple years ago about going to get him. And their analytics guys prepared a report and the numbers were just not good. And they kind of reassessed and they looked at it and they said that, you know, when they looked at some of the things that were pointed out about it, they agreed and and they backed away from the process. So 
I think Toronto would think similarly. I would be surprised. I mean, if the price is low enough, I think anybody would do anything. But I can't see Toronto paying the kind of price that you guys would want for Ristolainen. It just doesn't fit the way they think. Do you, do you, do you not think that, you know, when you talk about Ristolainen and his analytics, like what player, when you're playing on a bottom place team in the league, what player on that team is going to have good analytics? You know, I, I think that's a very fair critique. I, I, I think some teams are smarter about it than others. And, you know, I, I think that the guy who runs the analytics in Calgary, Chris Snow, uh, is very smart. And I don't think that he, they would just run numbers and say, oh, this guy is... They, they, I don't think that Calgary's the kind of team that would submit numbers and say, oh, this guy's terrible without taking into consideration the whole team and his situation within the team. I think that they compare it. The Calgary has this whole big database. Um, I recently talked to their GM about it. That takes into consideration everything from battles won to passes completed to zone entries to uh, other things that they, that aren't obvious. Like it's more than just shots. Like a lot of the public debate about analytics is things like shots for and against scoring chances for, I think the teams that really do it well, it's much deeper than that. And it would take into consideration things that you and Andrew would consider as values, such as who wins races to loose pucks, who retrieves the pucks, who wins the battles, those kinds of things. And I think they would take into consideration, A, the quality of your team, the quality of the players that you're on the ice against, and how you do relative to the rest of your teammates. So I think the teams who really do it what right, and I think Calgary is one, and I think Toronto is another, they would take into account a lot of things that aren't publicly available and a lot of things that you guys would consider valuable. We're talking tracking who would get to the puck first. Well, I would have the worst analytics ever because I let guys go in first all the time so I could crush them. <laughs> wouldn't, you know I, what? Again, wouldn't I get I a positive that analytics get, on that? That would get taken into account. I think that would get taken into account. Absolutely. Scott Niedermeyer, he always let everybody win the race so he could poke the puck off their stick and go the other way. So the last number of years, just sticking with Ristolainen, you know, he's been a, a minus player for a long time. This year, he's playing really well. He's playing great hockey. He's, you know, I think he's even in the plus minus. He's putting points up. He's playing power play penalty kill. I, is his stock down? I don't necessarily think the stock is down. I, I think, Craig, that you guys are asking an awful lot for him. Like, look, we, we've talked about this a lot on your show this year. Like, a lot of people in Buffalo are upset about Jason Botterill's inactivity. I don't think the problem is that he doesn't want to be active. I think the problem is that, you know, you don't want to make a trade that people look back in three and four years and say, oh, boy, that was a really stupid trade that killed us for a long time. I think he sees the value in Ristolainen that you see, and I think he's asking a lot for him. Like, you know, you take a look at look at look at what some of these guys are getting traded for right now. Yeah, the rentals are going for bigger prices. Blake Coleman, who's got one year left, went for a first rounder and Tampa's top prospect. Um, Tyler Toffoli, who's got no time left, went for a second rounder and one of Vancouver's better prospects. Like, what do you think that Jason Botterill is asking for Ristolainen? I think the price is really high, and uh, I, I think it's not easy to get that because, you know, teams look at that and say, you're going to have to give up something 
that's going to hurt your team to get Ristolainen. And I think that's a price that nobody wants to pay to this point. Uh, will Josh Anderson be moved at the deadline? He's another player Ribs has on. Elliot, if you ever came in, you would see there's a, there's a board in the back. It's a dry erase board. And general manager Craig Rive is active, active on that board every single day. No, 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 no day is the same. Like the next day, very, very different. And the only reason why it would be different the next day, because it hasn't been erased and changed yet because he hasn't arrived. So... Anderson's on the board, Trocek's on the board, both these guys mentioned in the 31 Thoughts. You know, I, I think that Anderson, it depends on his health. That's one of the biggest questions that's being asked right now, Andrew, is how healthy Josh Anderson is. And I think that's a question for Columbus, and I think it's a question for teams, other teams. Like, I think, I think there'd be a lot of interest in Josh Anderson, Boston, Colorado, like a lot of the teams that are probably in on Kreider are interested in, in Anderson too, but you've got to know he's going to play. And I think, you know, I think even if you knew he was going to play, say in a week or two after the deadline, you'd still take the chance, but he hasn't played since December 14th and he had four points in 26 games. Like I, I think that people really respect Anderson and really like his skill set, but you've got to know he's going to be available. He's up. You know, he's up. his contract's up this year. He's, I think, a year away from unrestricted free agency. So you know the price is going to be higher because of what Coleman went for and what Anderson's skill set is. But you've got to know you can count on him for this year. And I think while it's still uncertain, I think it makes it very difficult to trade for him. And what about uh, Vincent Trocek? Is he really available or is he just a... Well, Trocek, he scored last night. He got that was a big win for Florida, which pulled ahead of Toronto. Um, you know, I, I think the situation with Trocek is if if Florida can get something, particularly a defenseman who's a difference maker, I think yes, they they would consider it. Um, but it's going to be a big price. Now, there were some rumors yesterday out of Vancouver about Adam Godet and uh, and Florida, like. Vancouver's not trading Adam Godet unless they're getting someone with term. And, you know, Trocek kind of fits that. But I wonder what's the defenseman that helps Florida there. I, I'm not sure I can figure it out. So I think the guy you're showing on your screen, there's a lot of, I mean, he's a top two center. Those guys are hard to find. Uh, but I think Florida's got to be convinced they're getting a difference maker, particularly on the blue line, with some team control before they're doing that. Hey, Riv. Rivs is here. Who are you going to put on the board now? I'm going to her. I'm, I, where's my eraser? I need so, I, I need to find somebody else. I just I don't I don't I don't know. Like I I feel like I feel like Flo I feel like Florida could get in. I mean I thought that was always the whole point with all the moves they made in the offseason. Like they're supposed to be a much improved and a much better team. I don't know why they're just because a Matheson's playing wing and a Pissick's playing wing. I don't know why that means that they're going to try to to unload at the deadline. I mean, they're they're right there. I mean, the Leafs the Leafs have Pittsburgh tonight, and that's not going to be an easy game. I'm I'm sorry, Elliot, but I'm chalking that one up to a loss for Toronto. Are we there? Are we still connected, Elliot? Are you there? Oh, yeah, sorry, guys, to cut it there for a second. Uh, no. I think Florida's issue is I, I don't think they feel they defend well enough. And, like, I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, 
they're not happy about their team defense, and they've got Mark Pesic and Mike Matheson playing forward. Like it's so, I, I think they really feel they don't defend well enough, so they'll do something to add defense. Um, but I'm with you. Toronto's in trouble. They they looked awful against Pittsburgh the other night. Pittsburgh's here again today. If they don't play a lot better, they're going to be in big trouble. They woke up this morning 10th in the East, and Florida's got a game in hand. It's not pretty here right now. Do you think a Trojcek and a player like a Matheson could be moved together? Potentially, yes. I know there are teams out there, Craig, who like Matheson, but he's got, I think, six years left on his deal, and there's nothing that scares these teams more than term. Gotcha. Max Domi, I mean, I'm reading here number 13 in your uh, 31 thoughts, rumors about Max Domi. I, you have a source that says fake news, but, I mean, it, it's not, I don't think it's unrealistic. I feel like Bergman would be looking to do anything. Well, Bergman is a wild card. Like, he could do anything. He's a pretty fearless guy. Um, so I always recognize that he has that ability. That There's always the possibility of that with him, Andrew. I'll tell you, like, I've heard Domi's name out there. I made a bunch of calls. I had some guys tell me yes. I had some guys tell me no. I had one guy tell me fake news. Um, you know, that. so I got to tell you, like, I'm hearing a lot of different things. Like, but I think the one thing is that in, in Montreal, he's, he, he hasn't been afraid to make big deals. He traded Subban. He traded Pacioretty. Like, it's not like this guy is afraid to do it. I just like I think they wanted to keep Tatar, and um, and what happened was they you look at what the what's happening for Coleman right now. I think he's going to get tempted. So I think he's listening on a lot of things. I think you know he's not afraid, as I said. I'm just really torn on what to predict for Domi because I've had some yeses and some noes, and. These are people who generally tell me the truth and have been pretty accurate with their information. So what it says to me is that people who know more than I do are just as confused about the possibility of it as I am. I think it's possible, but I, I don't think it's a guarantee. Like, there's some guys you know they're getting traded. I would just say that you can't say with any certainty that you know this guy's getting dealt. Hey, uh, NHL still weighing in on, on punishment for uh, Evander Kane about the, the comments and they're looking at supplemental discipline, um, you know, or, or, or more of a fine or something for his comments toward the league. Where are you on this? And I, I mean, I don't know if you're following the baseball, but a lot of players around Major League Baseball talking out about the Astros and and uh, everything that happened there with the cheating scandal. And, and I'm just I'm just wondering. Yeah, you, I follow that quite a bit. And um I think baseball's lost control of the situation. I think, you know, watching all the players every day just hammer the league. And, and the commissioner poured gasoline on the fire. Like, he handled it really terribly. Like, when he referred to the, the World Series trophy as a piece of metal, like, first of all, Gary Batman would never do that about the Stanley Cup. And secondly, if he did, we'd all kill him. Like, it would be, it would be crazy. But I do think, like, Claude Julien got fined for criticizing the officials in a game where I agree, like they didn't get any penalties and I understood why he was upset. Um, so I'm kind of interested in the fact that one got fined and one didn't. Um, I think there, it sounds like they're still weighing it, but I mean, the longer it goes, you got to think that it's not going to happen, but 
Andrew, I think the thing they worry about the most is exactly what's happened in baseball, is that if you don't find Kane, then does it give someone else license to do the same thing? I think we're all kind of wondering about that. Well, I, I'll tell you this, Elliot. I hope, I hope that all these wealthy athletes at the top of the pay scale that have a voice use it and use the $5,000 or $10,000 fines to make sure that they get everything right. I mean, if it, if it takes an Evander Kane getting fined five or ten grand, maybe another player getting fined five or ten grand, a coach getting paid five or ten grand, maybe collectively the whole system can be fixed because the officiating has been awful. The Sabres missed a penalty shot the other night they should have had. Jake McCabe was given a hooking penalty where he didn't even hook a guy. Um, players are getting hurt with no suspensions. The best players in the league aren't protected. I'm not heated toward you. I'm heated toward the topic, just so you know. And I just, yeah. I, I just, I think, I think that I, I like these players speaking out because everyone's silenced. All right, thanks, Brandon. Brandon, there's Yeah, and oh, hey, hey, Brandon, good to see you, bud. Good luck tonight, man. Sorry, just uh, saying hi to somebody. Uh, who is that? Who is that? <laughs> that was, uh, it was sort of Brandon Tanev from the Penguins just walked by saying hi to his dad. And uh, so it was, um, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, like, I'm a guy, like, I don't think you should be afraid of free speech. Like, if somebody wants to say something honestly, as a member of the media, I don't like to criticize. Like, we rip guys for being bland. You can't criticize people for being honest. The one thing I, I will say is that watching the Major League Baseball lose control of this, I have a better understanding of why leagues do fine people for this. I, I think that, I'll tell you this, I think the refereeing, Andrew, is becoming a big conversation in the league. And the GM meetings are in two weeks in Florida, and I wouldn't be surprised if that comes up, because I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of complaints about it. I don't know what can be fixed. I think the one thing, and you guys can both appreciate this as players, the players feel that there's too many referees telling them to be quiet or something even ruder than that. I know you guys probably had referees when you guys played that you felt you could at least talk to. These ref players feel that they can't even talk to them. And I know that's an issue. So I, I, I made a suggestion yesterday, Elliot, and I don't know if, it, like, if it's something that could ever happen, but in, for clarity, and I, I believe I'm right on this, the, 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 the refs are employed by the NHL, correct? Yes, that is correct. See, that's, that's the problem. That's, well, I mean, who should they be employed by? I don't know. Maybe they're kind of separate. Maybe they're their own separate entity. They're the, you know, where they, they are hired for certain games or they're, you know, they're contracted out. But I mean, I mean, maybe they're the, the, the professional referees association and they develop their own refs or the national hockey league referees association or whatever the case may be, but they have to be, they, they, they can't be afraid of Steve Walcom and the, the rest of the people around the league being breathing fire down their neck with every single call. Because I feel like, like now nerves come into play and they would rather Error on the side of caution by, you know, I'll make the call because just in case I'm wrong, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's happening mm -hmm. too. And, and I think that we, we've seen a lot of that, a lot of guessing. Yeah. But you know, the thing, Andrew is it doesn't matter who run, who they're employed by. Like, I don't see the pressure getting any less. I mean, you know, there's a lot at stake here. Teams don't make the playoffs. They lose a lot of business. Coaches get fired. Players get moved. Players don't make as much money sometimes, you know, if your team doesn't make the playoffs. As you know, going the better your team does, the better everybody does financially with it, generally. Um, 
I, I don't see the pressure getting any less. I, I, you know what? I think that one of the things that's going on is that I think the league finds it harder to find officials in general because officiating every level on up is so hard. It is such a difficult business. There's, I mean, the criticism you come under, it takes a really, really thick skin. And I know that one of the things the league talks about a lot is we've got to create a wider pool of officials. They're asking more former players now to consider being referees and linesmen. I know they're going to open it up. Uh, they're, they're, I, I think they're not getting too far away from the day where there's going to be a female official in the league. I think they just need to do, they really feel strongly that the pressures of officiating are so much that it decreases the overall talent pool, and that's one thing they got to fix. Put an official up top as well. I also believe in that. Have someone up top that can oversee the game and call right down and say, look, you missed a checking from behind or you missed this, something, you know, to add, add an extra I, set I of eyes. I don't disagree with that. I, I would actually, like I'm watching the XFL doing it right now with that person over the field, and I think it's interesting. And I also think it might not be the worst thing to get one body off the ice. Oh, Yes. Absolutely, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You don't need all these linemen and, at the and end officials. Of the day, now there's no, there's no, there are no fights to break up anymore. So, and at the end of the day, the refs have an extremely difficult job. It, it's yes. very difficult in today's. It was difficult back 20 years ago to be a ref. It's even harder now. They have more pressure on them to get the right plays right. Um, the game is much faster. I mean, it is a very difficult job for a ref in the National Hockey League yes. right now. And, you know, any way that we can help alleviate the pressure on these guys to always make the perfect call, that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be uh, pounding down on them like, hey, you missed a, a hooking call last game. Well, it's going to happen. It's human error. Oh. Get Craig, past it. Craig Reve trying to tell us to lay off the refs. All right, that's going to do it for Elliot Freeman's visit with the guys. Ristolainen apparently not getting the value. That's the, think the highlight of the, the interview there. He's not getting the value that the Sabres are looking for. We'll talk a little bit about that when we return. We're looking for your calls at 803-0550. I've got some exact stats for you, by the way, uh, when comparing Skinner last year on Eichel's wing to Olofsson this year. And there actually is a stark difference. Like It's just pretty much as big as I was seeing before. So we'll get into that as we re uh, when we return as well. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. I don't necessarily think the stock is down. I think you guys are asking an awful lot for it. A lot of people in Buffalo are upset about Jason Botterill's inactivity. I don't think the problem is that he doesn't want to be active. I think the problem is you don't want to make a trade that people look back in three and four years and say, oh boy, that was a really stupid trade that killed us for a long time. I, I think he sees the value in Ristolainen that you see, and I think he's asking a lot for him. That was Friedman, who you just heard on uh, the Instigators earlier today. So he doesn't necessarily say that Ristolainen's value is down. He is having a good season. Maybe his best season as a Sabre. Um, doesn't that sound like what we always used to hear about Darcy Regeer, though? Isn't that what we always used to hear? That Darcy just would overvalue his players. And that's why very few times the Sabres would make deals under Darcy Regeer, and when they did, they usually ripped the other team off. Because once in a while, if you value your players incredibly high, you'll make a trade or two here or there, and you'll probably win it because you have that mindset, but you're not going to make a lot of deals. And the roster is just going to kind of sit. And that's kind of what's happening now, it feels like. 
So if Jason Bottrell is calling Florida right now and he's not going to trade Ristolainen for Trocheck unless it's straight up, then we've got a problem. We've got a problem in that we might have a GM that's overvaluing his players. I told you I wouldn't give up a lot more for Trocheck, but Asplund, who's one of your best prospects, he's not like a great prospect, but he's a good prospect, and a second, which again, not a great draft pick, but a good draft pick, throw in those two pieces, and I think you're still getting a good deal. At least on paper. I just want to see the killer instinct. That's all I want to see. If there's a deal on the table and you've got to overpay a little, but you're trying to get something accomplished and this would do that, then be willing to bite the bullet. And don't be afraid to do it just because the Sabres might have made the worst trade the league has seen in years by trading O'Reilly to St. Louis and having almost nothing to show for it right now. Um, I just hope that's not the case behind the scenes. I hope that's not what's going on. I hope it is that other teams just aren't interested in in, in the Sabres stuff. I think that could very well be the reason. They don't have a lot to work with in terms of picks, in terms of prospects, in terms of players on their roster. It's pretty limited. The reason Ristolainen's name is so exhausted in this respect is it's hard to make the case for anybody else. Colin Miller, Jake McCabe, they're they're not getting you a top six player. Montour, I mean, there's a reason he's come up a little bit recently, but you just got him less than a year ago. So that's not a natural uh, fit for this. And that's like, Pilot's not getting me a top six forward, I don't think. You're not trading Yoki. You could talk about trading Yoki, are you? I think he should get you that. I don't want to trade him at all. And even if you got a Vincent Trocheck, I'd be scratching my head if they sent Henry Yoki Haru on his way. I guess if you looked at it a different way, it's, you would have been like, oh, I traded Alex Nylander for Vincent Trocheck. You know, then then I'd feel a little better about it. But I love Yoki Haru. I don't want to see him moved at all. And I think Ristolainen is the, like, that's the guy. That's the reason we always get to him. Like, he would be the guy for this. He makes the most sense. And that's why we keep looping back around to his name. 8030550 is the phone number. Ralph Kruger on the way in the second hour. 17-game schedule for the NFL. Seven playoff teams. Talk about that as well. And the NHL trade deadline in four days. So, of course, we'll uh, continue to roll on that. So, nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Your calls after this on WG. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids. Worried I couldn't bench two plates. That I wouldn't fit in. That I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying. And suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, we may be closer to a CBA agreement between the NFL owners and the NFLPA. Welcome back to the Nightcap, by the way. Joe DiBiase for another hour here on WGR. 
So the NFL owners approved it earlier in the day. It was not unanimous. We don't really know who um, didn't vote for the didn't vote to uh, approve it, but a lot of uh, things that are working right now. You've got the 17 game schedule part of this. You've got the seven game or seven playoff teams in each conference part of this, and. The NFLPA has now sent a worksheet basically highlighting what the new CBA would entail to all its players. They'll have a, a, a conference tomorrow, and maybe they vote it through, but what I'm reading, it sounds like they're not going to vote on it tomorrow. And if they do, well, they could, I guess I should say. Those are the highlights, though, at least for fans. There's a lot of stuff in here for the for the players. There's like a, there's um, you're seeing minimum salaries going up. Um, there's an extra 1.25 million exclusion on the salary cap for players with four plus years experience. Um, so basically I think that means you're allowed to go over the cap a little bit. If it's for a guy, like if Lorenzo Alexander wanted to come back, then you can bring him back on a a vet minimum deal. And it'll, and if you go over the cap because of it, that's okay because he's played more than four years. So veterans getting a little bit of extra money. Um, it's a lot of stuff in here. Visiting locker rooms need to be upgraded. I'm seeing like Mike Tanier, for instance, from Bleacher Report is saying this just basically means Washington, um, which is not surprising to me that Washington would be the team that has really bad visiting locker rooms, but maybe that's just for them. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping this gets passed. I really do. I really want to see the extra game. I really want to see the extra playoff game. Um, but what's interesting is f- looking that up earlier today, like, oh, I wonder how many times, when would the Bills' drought have ended had there have been an extra playoff team? And the answer is it would have been the exact same. They would have had a 17-year playoff drought. The Bills in those 17 years not only never made it in the top six, they didn't make it in the top seven. So it wouldn't have changed all that much then, but it does make the league more interesting, and it makes the Bills' playoff hunt each year more interesting. It's just one more spot to try to hunt down. And we know how hard it's been to track New England in the AFC East, and maybe that's finally over. Brady might not even be their quarterback next year. It could be Cam Newton. It could be Andy Dalton. It could be Mariota. It could be Bridgewater. I think it could be Taysom Hill. I just think Belichick's got the ego for that. I think Belichick's just going to think, I'm going to bring in this this receiver, Gunner, and I'm going to make him my starting quarterback. I'm going to win the Super Bowl. Now who's the best coach of all time? Or now who was more uh, the reason for success, Brady or Belichick? But anyways, that's been so hard to track down for all these years. And to think now, if you don't have the division, you have another option. You have that, that third wild card. I'm in for that. So just from a Bills perspective, I love it. And who doesn't want an extra playoff game each day? Right? Wild card Saturday, wild card Sunday. Now I've got a 1 o'clock game, a 4 o'clock game, and an 8 o'clock game. Are we? Is anybody really going to complain about that, fan-wise? I don't even... Players, it sounds like, from what Mike Garofolo was saying earlier on NFL Network, that the players didn't need any convincing for that. Sure, it's an extra game for them. But... It's another opportunity to reach a Super Bowl, which is really what these guys care about. So that didn't take any convincing. The 17th game sounds like a sticking point. I hope that gets passed. I don't need it, but I'd like it. 
again, it's an extra game. I made this point yesterday on the show that the, the NFL season is already so short. It's five months. And every other league in sports, baseball is what, nine? The NHL is six, seven? Well, if you include the playoffs, actually, the NHL is like eight months. Same as basketball. So you're half the time period that all these other sports are where you fill up the calendar. And the NFL, to their credit, does a better job than any other league of selling content when their game is not being played. The combine, to me, is a complete farce. I don't think it means anything. And they sell it. And people cover it. And people watch it. They make content out of it. Free agency, same thing. The draft. The NFL, the mini camp, OTAs, training camp, all of it. The NFL does the best job of selling content when they're not playing. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't stink that you only play five months of the year. And an extra game here, I'm hoping that, well, at the very least, you're getting an extra week and maybe you're throwing another bye week in there. I think if I'm the players, I'm demanding that if you're adding another game. Um, And the other thing I really like about the 17-game proposal is I like the neutral site idea. I like it a lot. Every year, wondering, like... if I had season tickets to the Bills, and every year, if I'm a guy who travels, and I, you know, I traveled a little bit, um, but not all that much at all for Bills games when I had seasons. Almost, actually, almost never I did. But people out there, like the Nashville, the the Tennessee game, that that place was a Bills crowd. So the Bills fans travel every year, getting to maybe go to a different place. It's like, oh, this year, well, waiting to find out where you're going. It's Honolulu. They're playing at the Pro Bowl Stadium this year. All right, cool. Um, Next year, you're playing in London. Sweet. You're playing in Mexico City. You're playing at Penn State. You're playing at, I don't know, Notre Dame. Michigan. I like the college stadium idea a lot. I really like that. Maybe you play a game at the Carrier Dome. I don't really love that idea, but, you know, it could be done. But all these unique places you could be playing neutral site games. Others, college football does it. Now, they have bigger stadiums to go into that host NFL teams. But college stadiums is an idea. I love the idea. You know you know if they do this, right? The Bills are playing a game at Penn State with the Pagoulas connections. They're playing a game at Penn State if this happens. No doubt in my mind. Like, that's happening. I'm surprised the Sabres haven't played a game there yet in a Winter Classic. So, I think that's a cool idea. The international part of it, too. Um, I like different timed games. I like the, the 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 games in England just because it's morning football. That's why whenever it comes up, like, hey, the Chargers could move to London or the Jaguars could move to London, I'm all about it because I just want morning football. It's really the biggest reason I first started getting into soccer is you wake up and it's on. Sweet. No offense to, you know, Sunday NFL countdown and watching fantasy shows to get ready on Sunday morning for that. Watching Matthew Barry on ESPN2. No offense to that, but if there's a game on, sweet. I'm into that. 
It's like another primetime game in a way. It's got its own window. I'm into it. So, I like the neutral site idea. I don't need them to go to 18. I don't need an even number. I don't really care whether there's 500 or not, which there wouldn't be. If you go to 17, you're either 9 or 8, 8 and 9. Can't be 500 unless you tie. So, I'm a big fan of this idea a lot. 803-0550 is the phone number. Okay, we've got a little football out of the way there. Um, back to business, though. The NHL trade deadline is four days away. Ralph Kruger joined Howard and Jeremy earlier this morning, so we got a lot to chew on. Jeff Skinner uh, versus Victor Olofsson on Jack Eichel's left wing is a subject I spent a lot of time on in the first hour. Um, so we'll get back into that a little bit as well, and we'll hear from Kruger. Your calls, too, at 803-0550. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Joe DiBiase back here on the Nightcap. Heard from Elliot Friedman in hour number one. Let's hear our second interview of the day now. Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger, who I've been a little critical of tonight, at least in his, I don't want to say refusal, but the fact that we are into almost into March and... We have the same lines, basically, that we started the season with. And one stat that I pulled up uh, from Natural Statric is, it's an alarming one. It's basically the same thing that I said way earlier in the show, uh, just with the minutes attached as well. Um, This season, Jack Eichel has spent, well, I should say it this way, Victor Olison has been Eichel's left wing for 83% of his five-on-five minutes this year. Olofsson has eight even-strength goals. Last year, Jeff Skinner was Eichel's left winger for 65% of his five-on-five minutes. Skinner had 32 even-strength goals. The power play production this year has been Olofsson's bread and butter. He's been good with Eichel, don't get me wrong, but he has not been producing at the same clip, even close, that Skinner did last year when playing with Eichel. No matter who the right winger was, by the way. Remember, Pominville. The J. Crew line from last year, which might be like the, the, the best nickname line nickname we've had here since when, was Jason Pominville, Jack Eichel, and Jeff Skinner. You haven't needed Sam Sam Reinhardt even as part of this, too. You don't need Reinhardt on Eichel's right wing. He can drive his own play. There was a play against Ottawa that I'm just like, yep. There's Sam Reinhardt with a controlled zone entry that he never gets the opportunity to do because, to his credit, he never has to because Eichel is so amazing at it that Reinhardt never has to be the guy carrying the puck into the zone. There was a play against Ottawa. I think they were down 4-2 to at the time. And Reinhardt had just come on the ice and the other two forwards were going off for a change. So Eichel and Olofsson weren't yet out there. And Reinhardt had back pressure. He had a guy chasing him from behind. And he went one-on-four. He skated in, got it through the blue line, cut to the right, made one guy miss, tapped the puck into the corner, and got there first. And the Sabres set up shop, and I don't remember if they ended up getting a chance or not, but that was like, I'm looking at that, I'm like, that's Sam Reinhart right there. That's something he wasn't able to do two, three years ago. But last year and this year, he's been able to do it. But this year... 
it's been in such limited sample sizes because he's always playing with Eichel, and Eichel is the best player in the team, and he's one of the best in the NHL at it. So you basically are saying, eh, Sam, we don't really need you to do some of the stuff you're good at because we're just going to basically make you a net front guy. You're going to play off of Jack Eichel. I hate that. I think you're limiting some of what Sam Reinhart can do. And that's not even what I meant to start talking about here because Olofsson, although I think he's played well, again, most of his production has been power play production this year. You don't have to take him off the top power play unit. You could put him down with Reinhardt, specifically, who I just told you can drive his own play, put them on their line together, and put Skinner up with Eichel and throw anybody else on that line. Because last year, you put a 36-year-old Jason Pominville on it, and it was the best line we've seen the Sabres have in years. You could have done it with Pominville. Bring him back. Vet men. Vet minimum. You don't think he'd come back? Maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. At this point, he probably wouldn't. But at the beginning of the season, you could have put Sabatka in the minors. You could have put Bogosian. You could have done what you did with Bogosian a couple days ago at the beginning of the season, and then you would have been able to pay Jason Pomville. And it didn't have to be Pomville. Could have been VC. Could have been Sherry. Could have been could have been anybody. Johansson. I don't care. Skinner, Eichel, and whoever. Reinhard Olsen and whoever. I'm not saying that it would necessarily work. It might not. I just want to see. I just, I just want to see it tried. I really just want to see it tried. 803-0550 is the number. Just said we were about to get to Ralph Kruger, and then I kind of went on a tangent there, so let's get to him now. Here he is, Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger with Howard and Jeremy from this morning. Ralph, it's Howard and Jeremy. Good morning. How you doing today? Good morning. Good morning. Back at her. We're good. We're good here. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Hey, we were just, we had Marty Baran on in the last segment, Ralph. We had a long conversation about Jeff Skinner. So let me start from there. We know we talked about his drought and, and line combinations last week. So I guess one thing I'm, we're curious about now, in terms of Jeff's effort, is it still there or do you believe his game has dropped? He's having some issues. Maybe the weight of the drought is now affecting him in his on ice performance. Well, there's, you know, that that's, uh, you know, it seems seems to be a topic that that you like to discuss, and it's really there. There are always different different levels of of solutions that go on here. There's uh, when a, when a player is is looking for his best game, we, uh, you know, you go through video, you go through the psychology bit, you go through multiple levels of of teaching and coaching, and you know, we we're doing this with with multiple players at the same time. That's what coaching staffs do. And that's what we do. We try to improve as a team every day. And, you know, some of the buttons we try to push, you know, we speak about and some of them we keep internal, but there's no question that everybody's working hard at uh, trying to find the right solution. It always has to happen in combination with what's best for the team. And, uh, you know, the scoring chances are there. The, you know, when a shooting percentage is down uh, 4%, from a career average, you try to work on why is that? What what are what are the better ways to do it? And you know, for us, it's it's just continued hard work at solutions. That's what we do as a team. Whether the PP is not working, whether we're we're taking goals on the rush, or whether an individual player is not producing to the numbers he'd like to, you 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 try to work with them on on pathways that they can get there. And uh, that's what we're doing with with Jeff. 
I know you talk a lot with not just Jeff, but any player on your roster about how they play away from the puck and how that is a very important thing you look for as a coach. In particular with, with Jeff in this instance, how is he doing? I know you said you break down video with everybody. Um, what is he doing in terms of play away from the puck and how, how would that affect maybe an overall performance in your eyes? Well, I have never and I will not discuss individual tactic in the public. That's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's not something I do on any other player, so I'm not going to do it around Jeff. Of course, when, when a player is, is not producing, nobody's happy. The player's not happy, we're not happy, and we're trying to find the solutions, and we work hard at it. But, you know, there, there, are, there are internal uh, things that, and analysis that, that uh, you know, in, in, in respect of what we do here to try to make the whole as powerful as possible, we need to keep inside, and we, we keep it inside, and I, uh, I enjoy... Every day that I coach the Buffalo Sabres, it's, it's always a, a challenge. I enjoy the individual challenges. I enjoy the team challenge as my, you know, the whole staff here does. And uh, just a lot of it, a lot of the work we do stays internal. And, and on this one, it stays right there. 60 games into your first season in terms of the overall performance of your team, are they playing the game the way you want them to play? Are you seeing it more consistently? Or I guess I'm asking you how much work still needs to be done to get to where you'd like them to be. Well, I think everybody knows we won four of our last five games or at points in five of the last six games. So, uh, you know, we, we definitely have had streaky moments through the season of success, and we've had moments where we would like to have had more points and needed to get more to be, you know, in, in the position that we'd like to be in right now, which we're not. We're, we're, not, we're not happy with where we're at right now, and we're fighting to – to keep contact and we've got opportunity here if we can get points in five of the next six again to 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 edge closer to where we want to be but overall we're pleased with the group's engagement in attempting to learn the game that we need to play on a consistent basis are these habits 100 percent ingrained already no are they working hard to to have these habits part of our normal execution yes uh again we, we have gone through a good phase here. We've got some bodies back now. Are we, you know, we're really, really not pleased with what happened in Ottawa the other night. Do we have a chance to react now against Pittsburgh on Saturday? We do, and that's what we're going to work towards to get another another good phase going, another good streak going here because we're going to need a few of those in the next few games. But overall, we love the work of the players. We love the engagement of the players and the, understanding of the kind of game we need to play I think is quite clear and uh, and and it's just the mental strength and the you know the ability to do it on a daily basis in the National Hockey League takes time and you know we feel much more good than bad right now Ralph going back to the previous conversation a little bit not specifically about about Jeff Skinner but about your, your top two lines and your your efforts to find uh, goal scoring. You know, one of the things we, we talked about with Marty there was that when it comes to your scoring forwards, you do have three three pretty good scoring forwards on one line in Reinhardt, Eichel, and Olafson. And you know, Jeff is a little bit odd odd man out with that. With regard to Sam Reinhardt, um, Jason Bottrell has said on this station before he believes that Reinhardt can drive his own line. H- have you and Jason talked about that? About the idea of maybe Reinhardt gets a chance to do that because if you're looking for scoring from two lines, I mean. I think most would say anybody can be productive with Jack Eichel for the most part. Maybe not anybody, but, you know, Reinhardt's an important part of that. But if you thought about Reinhardt getting a look at trying to drive things the way that Jack drives a line? 
Well, first of all, definitely not anybody can be productive anywhere in the National Hockey League. You, you need synergies. And the, the Eichel, Reinhardt, Olofsson line is one of the elite five lines for me in the National Hockey League. You know, we've got an unbelievable asset there with Victor Olofsson, uh, you know, back scoring three goals in his last first two games back off a one-month injury, you know, that he has synergy there. And Sam having a career season, Jack having a career season. There's no question that you, you do not take something that powerful and, and, uh, and throw it away. It's something that we can build a future on. These players are, are, you know, 24 and younger, and that's exciting for us. What we need is we need secondary scoring. Like uh, the elite teams in the NHL have that ability, and, uh, you know, we need, we need to find a way to create some, some power in behind that line, and uh, that's what we're working on. And there's there's really uh, you know there's there there's definitely arguments to look at different formations when we're not getting you know when we're not in a playoff position, which everybody out there is is, is reaching for and wants us to be. But uh, you know we also have to see the the powerful nature of that line and their 20 plus minutes on the ice together and what that gives us and we need to get we have enough skill in our other forwards to to get something going and we're working on that as hard as we can right now i know you you think we're going to belabor the skinner point and we brought it up with you last week but the power of of the line or you have something now, powerful because we brought this up last week but you know you I, mentioned, I was off last week you mentioned frankly. the power that you have right because i i asked you last week about you know maybe moving reinhardt you basically said the same thing why would i want to break it up but with you now i'm going to factor in the third guy with olofsson ralph um could you know skinner with eichel was a powerful thing jeff skinner had his highest season in goals i, I know you weren't here but he had a career high in goals so that was a powerful combination and you were and you were happy with the team's results last year well i'm not happy with the team's results this year you're, you're probably not making the playoffs ralph no offense yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah, but that's fine. but uh, but if you know you have a guy who's making a lot of money to score goals and is having a career worst year could you move? Would Olafson be as good? Is he talented enough to say, "Okay, let me flip it"? Olafson's okay away from Eichel. He can succeed. It's not a matter of he's only scoring because he's with Eichel. He would be talented enough if I moved him away. Yeah, I mean, we we could we could philosophically discuss this. Now, we we spend four hours every morning before even the players arrive at the rink here as coaches, looking at footage and analyzing everything in and out and we we don't have time to discuss all of those experiences with everybody and you know somewhere there needs to be a trust in uh, in in what we see and how we're doing our best here to try to maximize what we what we can do as a group and again i want to i want to refer to the the run of late and uh, the energy that we have the ottawa game definitely dampened the spirit in the surroundings, but we need to take courage from what we did uh, against Toronto here at home and, and games of that nature and how, how, you know, the game that we want to play on a consistent basis showed up there to, uh, to neutralize one of the, one of the best offensive teams in the league. And, and uh, you know, we can, we can discuss, there'd be hundreds of different decisions that we make here that we could try to, tear apart in detail and our the way we put our lines together is certainly one of them but uh, it's difficult to to explain all those details and i can only say we are we are trying to maximize the potential of this group we are not there uh, as yet and we will continue to work on that 
One thing in terms of uh, maximizing results, Rob, I think that something that's gone very well, I think, early in the year, Rasmus Dahlin had a little bit of a, maybe a sophomore hiccup. I think, uh, you know, fans observing him wondered, you know, is Dahlin struggling? And there was a little bit of time, and then he kind of figured it out, and, and I would say he's playing pretty well. He's pretty darn good. He's been he's been great. So for, for you, is that... You know, you look at a player, and you, you know you're only getting your hands on any player so far with this organization for 60 games. And you you talk a lot about habits and positive habits with Dalene. Is that a is that an example you would say where you try to instill some habits in him, and it took a little bit of time, but then boom, it clicked, and you're seeing the positive results of that. No, Rasmus has has been a pleasure all season long, and uh, you know we see we see the brilliance of of his offensive ability but for us as coaches we're so excited how he's embraced what he needs to do defensively and how hard he works at creating pressure on the opposition to, you know without the puck and how proud he is of his one-on-one battles and he wants to win those and Steve Smith has done an unbelievable job of, of coaching him in individual sessions and while he was injured spending a lot of time with him going over video and footage and you know, he is, as a 19-year-old, you know, simply an amazing player. And, you know, we, his, his future, he's still far from his potential. When he fills out physically and, and we, we, we get some more pounds on him, you know, as he, as he just naturally will, will grow that, and he gets that strength, it's, uh, you know, the sky's the limit on him. And we, we can all see what he does to the power play and how he's able to, to manage the puck up top there. At his age, uh, you know, where is that going to end? And his shot will become harder. His physical play will become more aggressive. And his offense will just continue to find uh, opportunity for the players that he's on the ice with. But, you know, we're extremely excited about how Rasmus is developing here. The other big story, trade deadline is approaching. You know, you talked about synergy and how important it is. For for you and Jason Bottrell, the synergy that the two of you have – well, do you ask for things at the deadline? Or does, do you, choose, you know, like, hey, I'd like a, this or a that, or, or do you guys talk every single day, especially in these days approaching where roster decisions are probably, I would, I would think some roster decisions are going to come, maybe big, maybe small. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that always looms in the air in the National Hockey League since the beginning of the season, and of course we're discussing everything daily, and it's, you know, that process is very interesting and it's a lot of fun. And we, we are always looking at potential options that can make us a stronger team. And, yes, you know, we feel that in the air. But in the coaching room here, I have to tell you, we are fighting to, to still make something special out of this season. We haven't given up on anything that we're doing here. And uh, so our picture remains small in the coaching room and with the players. But with Jason, of course, I drift into the bigger picture on a regular basis and uh you know we will we will continue to try to improve the roster if we can and to to you know to to build the group that 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 can get us to where we want to go in the future but it's it's kind of a mix in the coaching world you have to you have to leave that that hat outside the the room when you walk in with the players and uh you know when when you leave that that space you you get into those discussions but we'll see what the week brings it's uh it will be an interesting week i think you know, throughout the league, but uh, for us specifically, we'd like to get stronger. Hey, Ralph, last thing on the trade deadline, since this is our first deadline 
uh, with you as the coach of the Sabres. Stuff is out there in social media. I don't know how many players go on Twitter, stay off Twitter this time of year. Names get mentioned in the rumor mill. How do you handle that as a coach? Do you, uh, you know, do you talk to a particular player or players if you hear names in the rumor mill to make sure they're staying focused? No, I think the most important thing is to to have them feel our focus on execution, learning, growing, like we've been trying to do here daily. And we, you know, we don't uh, we don't we don't discuss those situations. The NHL players are aware that that's always in the air, and the players don't have, you know, the no trade, no move clauses. <clears throat> realize that that could happen to them at any point in time, and uh, you know, you you basically try to concentrate on the task on hand which today it's going to be a good practice and uh, some learning out of the Ottawa game and uh, tomorrow the preparation for Pittsburgh and the one o'clock start on Saturday you know so we we, we do not uh, see those as anything other than part of the normal life of a National Hockey League player but it's not it's not really discussed and uh, we, we try to keep that noise out of our out of our locker room. Well, thanks as always for your time. Thanks for answering our questions, and we'll talk to you again next week. Good luck this weekend against Pittsburgh and Winnipeg. Yeah, and thank you to the fans for the the last three home games. Those three wins were were outstanding and uh, really, really enjoyed the energy in the building, and we'll bring some good energy back from Pittsburgh for a good game against Winnipeg, uh, my hometown where I was born, actually. On uh, on Sunday, so it'll be a it'll be it'll be a fun one. All right, have a good day, Ralph. Thanks, Jens. Bye. Ralph Kruger with Howard and Jeremy. I, some of that I was rolling my eyes at, and some of that I'm like, this guy gets it. I'm ve- I'm torn. I'm torn on the coach right now. Not too much though. I'm torn just on his decision making to keep basically a super line intact of Eichel, Reinhardt. In Olafson. Part of what he's I'm torn because I think part of what he's saying is is right. I do believe that they're one of the better lines in the league. They produce like it. But I don't know. It doesn't sound like he's all that worried. He, he talks about secondary scoring at the same time, and you you can't really have both, I guess, is what I'm saying. You could try to have both, but they haven't really tried different stuff yet. Um but I do think there's a, a solid defense for a lot of what he said on it as well. Just, I personally would look, I just want to see Reinhardt on a different line. That, that, that It's a bigger thing for me to see Reinhardt on a different line than it is to see Skinner with Eichel. I don't need to see Skinner with Eichel, but I need to see Reinhardt away from him. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. 803 is the phone number. Last call in the nightcap after the break. And I will uh, give you a prediction for the biggest, I'll call it the biggest heavyweight boxing match of my, no, not of my, of the last 20 years. At least back to Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson. This is the biggest one on Saturday between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Two guys that will go down all time as legends. Two guys that have a combined record of something like 68-0-1 in the draws against each other. Big personalities. Big guys. Wilder, 6'7", 220. Fury, 6'9", 260. If you used to watch boxing and you missed the big-time fights, Saturday night, and I can't wait. I'll give you a prediction for that, and we'll spend a couple of minutes on it when we return. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. 
Welcome back to the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. Last call. Big, big boxing match on Saturday night. If you are into the sport at all, maybe you've gotten away from it, I would definitely suggest that uh, you tune in on Saturday night to watch Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Um, I don't have a show tomorrow, so spent a couple of minutes talking about it here. I, I really think that this is the best. This is the this is the boxing match I'm maybe most excited to see that I can remember. I mean, Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G was amazing, and I was super pumped for that, and then super excited for the second one after they drew. But there's just something about there's something about heavy heavyweight boxing that's different. It's the biggest guys. It's the best of the best. It's it's just it feels different. the The magnitude feels different, and I think that the sport obviously will never be what it once was, where the the best boxer in the world was like the biggest sports was the best or the most popular athlete in the world. You might never get a Muhammad Ali again. You probably won't. You'll never get a Mike Tyson again. You'll never get a Vander Holyfield again. Those guys were maybe bigger than the sport. I don't think that can happen anymore. But there's been a bit of a resurgence in the last year or two, even three years, where there are a couple mega fights every year. And we maybe went 10 years without one. Mostly because Floyd Mayweather refused to fight Manny Pacquiao, and that kind of killed everybody's vibe. Um, but this is this is like the tip of the iceberg. This is as big as it gets. Two guys that are undefeated. Their only draws are against each other. They're going to go down as legends. Tyson Fury's got the story that you want. Coming back from drug addiction and obesity. He goes from heavyweight champ to dealing with that to his comeback story, which is incredible. You could write a movie about it. And Deontay Wilder, who is the hardest puncher next to Tyson in boxing history. This guy drops you. And that, that makes it that makes it entertaining stylistically. Fury's bigger than Wilder. He's 6'9", 260, which is two inches bigger than Wilder and 50 pounds bigger. But he's not a knockout artist. He's smooth. He is swift. He's quick. He's going to outbox you. He can knock you out, but he's going to outbox you. Wilder will not outbox you. In fact, guys he's beaten, he's beaten plenty of guys where he was behind on scorecards. Luis Ortiz, a older fighter, like a veteran, that he went up against twice. In both fights, he knocked Ortiz out, and in both fights, he was down on the scorecards. That's just what Deontay Wilder is. Tyson Fury outboxed him, almost beginning to end in the first fight. But why was it a draw? Because Wilder knocked him down twice. And it still amazes me that Fury got up from the second one. So you have Styles working against each other. You have great stories. You have the heavyweight division. You have a title on the line. You've got all you need. You've got Vegas. You've got prime time. Like all, all of it. There's nothing really competing against it on Saturday night. Is there hockey on? Is there basketball on? I don't know. There's nothing major. So give it a shot. Even if you're not into boxing lately, I would recommend to give it a shot because I do believe, I truly do believe that this is the best boxing match, um, the best lead-up, and it's the one I'm most excited for 
probably ever. Like there was a bit of that for when Floyd Mayweather fought Conor McGregor, but that was a completely different uh feeling. That that's not because of the talent on display. That wasn't because of what the fight was going to be. That was just because it was unique and it was a show and it was a circus and it was going to be uh an, an interesting. It was going to be interesting more than anything. This is different. This is like a legit This is a fight. So, tune in for that. My prediction for it, by the way, can't leave without a prediction. Because I will not be on tomorrow. I'm rooting for Deontay Wilder. American-born, first American-born heavyweight champion in like 20 years or something. I'm rooting for him. He's got the style I like. He's a knockout artist. 41 knockouts and 42 victories. So, I'm rooting for him. But I'm picking Tyson Fury by decision. Outboxed Wilder the entirety of the first fight. And as long as he can avoid getting knocked down, which is not an easy task because nobody does that against Wilder. Every single fight, Wilder's knocked the guy down. I'm taking Fury by decision, despite that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to tonight's show. Don't have one tomorrow. Niagara Basketball versus Fairfield tomorrow here on WGR, tomorrow night. But you will hear me on Saturday filling in for Brian Cozio for one more Sabres game on the Buffalo Sabres radio network. Sabres versus Penguins is a 1 o'clock puck drop. 12 o'clock, so noon pregame. So I will talk to you noon on Saturday. This has been the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 